a couple months ago, I was with uh, some of my pastor friends, and one of the guys, we were just talking about some different things, and he just said in passing, you know, that really Christianity, biblical Christianity, is the only approach to God where God has come to us. Everything else, you know, other world religions or, or, or uh, streams of Christianity that are not biblical, you know, I think of Jehovah's Witnesses, I think of the Mormons, all of those are, are men trying to come up with ways to get to God. But the, the miracle of Christmas is that God has come to us. He has, he has done outrageous things and gone to extreme lengths to reach out to us, to come to us. Because only he knew, you know, religions don't know that, or they wouldn't have tried to come up with all these plans. But only God knows that there's no way we can get to him. There's no way we can cross that gap. And so in all of the craziness and the busyness and, you know, we try uh, on the church's side, our schedule, we try to keep minimized so that we're able to take advantage of the season and take advantage of people's openness to, to God and to the Lord Jesus during the season, but not so fill it that your life becomes like that video. In the midst of that, we want to be able to step back and say, this is, this is a, an outrageous thing that Jesus has done for us and just be overwhelmed by that again. So this morning, I want to just look at this as, as Jesus as the, the life bringer and the light bringer to us, that that's who he is in, in this part of the Christmas story. We know the, we know the Bethlehem piece of the story, and I think in, in these next couple Sundays where I'll be preaching, I just want to step back, kind of what's the bigger picture? What's the, what's the story that's behind Bethlehem and behind, you know, the virgin birth and all of that? What is God doing behind the scenes, or what is he doing in the bigger picture for us, so you have Jesus, who's the life bringer and the and the light, uh, the light and the life bringer to us in, in those things. I'm going to speak about darkness some this morning. You know, darkness has a sense of ominous to us. It has a lot of associations for us. I came across a couple of quotes. One from the Greek philosopher Sophocles, who says, "Dark, dark, the horror of darkness, like a shroud, wraps me and bears me on through mist and cloud." I mean, you just get a feel for, for what his life is like. I mean, whose life hasn't had a season? Or for some of you, might, this might be your season where you feel like there's just a shroud of darkness that's just wrapped itself around you. Uh, a person who is a dark writer in American literature, Edgar Allan Poe, says, Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming. Dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. Just that there's this darkness. Think about the ways we talk about darkness, you know, and, and some of the overtones of that. Boy, you, you left me out in the dark on that one. I don't know what happened. Everything went dark. Uh, there's a dark cloud. There, that person always has a dark cloud over them. Yeah, then everything just kind of went dark. Wow, that was a really dark movie. You know, there's just a darkness about that person. The way we talk about, the way we use the word dark and, and the associations of darkness. And darkness can be, can be really creepy. Can we, can we have a moment of honesty? How many of you would say, or just, you know, be willing to admit, yeah, I'm afraid of the dark. Anybody? Yeah, I was petrified of the dark. And I want to thank my three brothers for that. You know, <laughs> especially my two brothers. Uh, you know, when we were little and we had that scary cellar that all of us had, you know, and they would convince me, 
always being the naive one in the family, they would convince me there was something in the basement that we needed. And so go down to the basement, and sure enough, the, our light switch in the old days, the light switch was outside of the basement, which whoever invented that didn't have brothers. So get down, I'd be halfway down the cellar stairs, the light would go out, and then I'd hear the door latch lock. That was just, that was terrible to be down there and hear them laughing on the other side. And, you know, you're in the dark. And I wondered, how is this going to be when I grow up and I have my own kids? And then it just dawned on me, when you're the parent, you can't be afraid of the dark. Can't, I'm not going to send my daughter down. Hey, there's something scary in the basement. Why don't you go down and tell me what that is? You know, it just would be, it'd just be wrong to do that. So it's kind of interesting as a parent, just kind of stepped over that threshold that, can no longer be afraid of that. I got to just go down and see what's there. Or one time at our house in Maine, we had one of those little cheapo $10 Walmart phones that you could get. It was just a little thing. It almost looks like a cell phone now. And it was on our thing. And, and uh, when you dialed on the main phone in the kitchen, it, this thing would click. It's upstairs. So it was no big deal. Except one night about 3 in the morning, all of a sudden we heard the phone clicking. Someone was in our kitchen dialing. That was a little creepy. I did think about sending Cindy down. So, you know, because I thought, you know, you think about that, you know, there's a strategy. Who's going to hurt a woman? And I would be up here to call the police. So, but I didn't, you know, we just called the police right from, the, right from there. And the police had these wonderful things to say, stay where you are. <laughs> just stay where you are and we'll be there. So, you know, I just want to obey the law. So I did. I stayed up there. And then when he came... I went down and it, we found out cheap phone. But the idea of going down into our dark downstairs with the idea that somebody might be down there, you know, that was a little ominous. That's what the darkness can be. It can just be ominous to us. And so here comes the Lord Jesus. He comes to us and he brings a light that will ignite life in us. And some of these are overtones because of how God sees us and how he recognizes where we're living and, and how life is going for us and, and how, we, how we need that light, the way that, that he sees us. God sees the whole world in darkness. That's how he views the world. We've gone through this time period. Remember in, in history, we went through the enlightenment. That's enlightenment from man's point of view. But when God looks at the world, he sees this whole world in darkness. I was reading a book by Warren Wiersbe, and he said, when sin happened in the garden, it just plunged the whole world instantly into darkness. That th there we were. And, and that's why, you know, we read, this, we read this, this verse from Isaiah to start service and to light the candle. It's a prophecy looking ahead to the coming of Jesus. And it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has, has shined. That's how God sees this, this world in, in its beauty that's still there and, and in the wonderful things that are being developed and how civilization is progressing. He just understands that at a spiritual level, there's just this deep darkness that people sense because they're trying to get to the light. You know, I was chasing down a, a few things and, and then just got lost. In Hinduism, there's this sense of attaining to enlightenment. I read that when the Buddha was dying, his followers said to him, well, who do we follow now? And he says to them, be your own light. Okay, that's scary. If you feel as though there's darkness in your life and someone says to you, just be your own light. 
But the God of heaven, he just sees the whole thing as shrouded in darkness. In fact, there's a point in which Jesus says to, I think it's when he's arrested. Remember, he says, listen, this is, the, uh, this is your hour. This is the hour where the power is in darkness. He understands that. There's some of our Christmas carols that's, that speak to that, that the world is in darkness, and, and here comes this light. So God, he sees the whole world in, in darkness. He recognizes that's because he's been rejected. It's been because Adam and Eve decide to go their way instead of, instead of obeying him and following in the way he laid out for this world to, to work. He intended for the world to be a place of light, of spiritual light and of spiritual connectivity with him. And that's been rejected. And so now there's this darkness. And there are people that, that I know, there are people that you know, they just live with a sense of being in darkness. They don't understand it, and they're trying to get out of it, but there's just darkness. Some of us will talk about there's this dark season that I went through, or we'll talk about there's this dark area of my life. Some of that is, is what we want to speak to in January, but we just know that there's an experience we have with darkness. Some of us try to be very religious, trying to just convince ourselves that there was light, we could be in the light, we could be there, we could be somehow connected, but it never works. It never gives you that the sense that you're there. So, so how is light used in the Bible? When we talk about we're in darkness, well, what does light look like? How does the Bible talk about light? It, it talks about light as the presence of God, that light reflects the presence of God. Where you find God, there's, there's just light. Where he isn't, there's darkness. And that's why there's darkness. He sees this whole world in his darkness. Because although on one hand it says the earth is full of the glory of the Lord, on another side, the earth has rejected the Lord, and so his presence, as he would like it, is not here. And, and there's this incredible darkness. He's light. He lives in perfect light. And in fact, First John will talk about God and, and say of God, one of the few things it says about him directly like this, it says, this is the message we heard from him, from Jesus, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Very few things come right out and say, this is what God is. In chapter 4, in 1 John, he's going to say, God is love. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. There's just, there's just none there with him. It'll say, it'll say in 1 Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy, and he, Paul will write to him, and then sometimes just kind of break into praise. And he, he does that here. He says, he's speaking of God. He says, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. That he is so radiant and so full of splendor and so magnificent, you can't even, you can't even get close to that. You can't see him. It's unapproachable light. And so the prophet Isaiah has an encounter with God, and he sees, he sees him in his fullness, and he's overwhelmed. He says, boy, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. He's undone by that. The Apostle Paul, even when he's not even seeking Jesus, he's on his way to Syria to persecute Christians, and it says this bright light came and knocked him off his horse, and he hears out of the bright light the voice of Jesus. That that's just how God tends to show up. In, in Revelation chapter 1, John, who was so personally close to Jesus through the three years of, of public ministry, now he sees Jesus, and he's got this brilliant white hair, and he's got blazing eyes, and John falls like a dead man in front of him. Because that's, that's the presence of God. The presence of God is just this incredible light. 
It, it says in uh, Second Chronicles when they, Solomon dedicates the temple, and they, he prays this long, wonderful prayer of dedication. That at the end of that, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. This what the Old Testament would call the Shekinah glory of of God. It's this brilliance of God's presence that it filled the temple. So the temple, the temple Solomon builds in Jerusalem, it's the one place on earth where God has come to reside. And it's so filled the temple, it said the priest couldn't even go in there. It was just so overwhelming, the sense of his presence, the glory that was there, and the brilliance of it that was there. Light is the presence of God. You want a God in whom there is no darkness at all. You know what that made me think of? made me think of this string of commercials that is just so great. You know what this one? Because sometimes, okay, it's just not okay. You want a God who is light and no darkness at all. You want that kind of a God. You don't, wanna, you don't want a God who's mostly light. I mean, some days he may just zap you just because he feels like it. Some days he may just rip, disrupt your life because he's not in a good mood. Some days, he might just have had enough of you. You don't want that kind of a God. And our God, when it tells you God is light, and then for him to go to the next phase and say, and just in case you ever wonder, in him is no darkness at all. I mean, that's, that's God. And then you, you package that with how many of us grew up thinking there was a lot of darkness to our God, that this God was just waiting to punish us. This God was never going to be happy with, with the way we were. That's kind of where our, our view of him was and then you watch him unfold himself in in the scriptures and he's this amazing god who's able to be absolutely holy and yet welcoming of sinners always finding a way to bring sinners back to himself I mean, that's the beauty of the old testament law we get bogged down in wow they had to eat these things they couldn't wear these clothes they had to do these things what a burden instead you're saying no god is just trying to make the point that you can't be holy enough but that he's going to provide a sacrifice for you. He's constantly trying to bridge, bridge that gap from, from him over to us, that light is, it is the presence of God. It says in Genesis, if you get back to the, the, the very beginning of things, where Mike talked about the garden, look at the, how the beginning goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That's how things existed. That's the very first thing God does. He says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's the first thing he brings to creation, is light, so that there's a sense of, of his presence, so that, so that there's something that people can see, so that the people can see. Light is the presence uh, uh, of God. You notice in... Uh, I was anticipating a different verse there. When David is speaking of his own journey in 2 Samuel 22, David's getting toward the end of his life, and he writes this psalm. He says, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. So I appreciate how in Scripture it speaks of creation and of the world, that God brings light to the world. But then in your journey, in your own journey, in your own relationship with him, he is bringing you light. He's bringing you a sense of his presence and a sense of his direction as you follow him. 
David has this life that is all over the map. He's anointed by God and chosen for something really special, but then lives through a couple of years of rejection for that. And then he, he's used by God to build this kingdom and establish the kingdom. And then he has a moral blowout and, and spends the less, it seems like the rest of his life trying to recover from that. But at the end of his life, what does he say? You're my lamp, Lord. You lightened my darkness. When I brought darkness into my life, you lightened it. When others brought darkness into my life, you lightened it. I mean, that's what he does. That's, that's why light is used in, in Scripture, just of his presence, that where he is, there's light. You stay close to him, and you are in the light. It says in First John, if we walk in the light, as he, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. I think he's speaking there to coming, come into this family and come into a relationship with Jesus, and you will be in the light, and you'll be connected, you'll be connected with others who are there. So, so light in, in Scripture is used of his presence, but it's also used of his knowledge of knowing God, because when Adam and Eve sinned, they're pushed, they're put out of the garden and they're put away from the presence of God, and things go dark in that way. But they also, when they, when they sin and when they choose to rebel against God, they lose the ability to connect with God. They lose the ability to understand him. They lose the ability to hear from him. That's why you'll meet people that don't know Jesus and say, I don't know, I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. Because you can't get anything out of it. Because that's light, it takes light to, to understand God. That's why the scriptures will we'll say of us in Philippians, when it looks at lost people, it says, I say this and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. He's looking at Gentiles just as people that don't know God. They walk in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their hearts. That's, that's people without Jesus. They, they may be brilliant, but as far as connecting with God, they're living in futility. As far as understanding spiritual things, their minds are dark. As far as living their life, they're alienated from God's life. And why is that? It's because of the ignorance of their heart. And they, cannot, they can't know these things because it takes light to penetrate darkness so that you under, we understand, will understand these things. That's why the Psalms will say, God, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Lord, it's your word that gives us light that illuminates things. It's your word that, that helps me to understand me. It helps me understand who I am and, and who you are and how I connect to you and how a life is supposed to work and what am I supposed to do in the situation. It's his word that unfolds that. It's, it's his light that will shine into the darkness of, our, of what we're not understanding in those things. So light is his, his presence. Light, light is the knowledge of him. It'll, it'll say in Luke, when Simeon sees the Lord Jesus and, and holds him, he starts to pray. Simeon has been waiting for the coming of the Messiah. He's been told he wouldn't die till he sees the Messiah. So he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, Simeon understood that this child he is the light. He's the light for, for revelation to reveal what you have to say to people that are far from you, the Gentiles. He is the light. He understood it was for everyone. Hey, turn with me to John chapter 1, because that's the, the passage where I want to be. 
this morning and just wanted you to see how that, how that bridges some of the darkness that scriptures talk about. So in John chapter 1, I just want to read these first nine verses in John 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is one of those verses we come to to just see our understanding. It was Jesus really God. Here's a verse that says pretty clearly yeah, that he was. In verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man got, sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Remember, Simeon said, you are a light to the Gentiles. The Jews would expect that he's a light to the Jews. That one would have caught him off guard, that the Messiah was going to be a light to the Gentiles. But, but do you see, in verse 4 it says, in him was life, the life was the light of men. You know, it says in verse 7, uh, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. It says in verse 9, this is the true light which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. Get a sense of the heart of God that he's piercing the darkness with the light of the world. Jesus is going to say that in John. I'm the light of the world. He's bringing him in for everyone because God, we have a God who's not only completely light in whom there's no darkness at all, we have a God who wants to be known. He wants to be known. And so all through the scriptures, in different ways, you're going to see threads where God is doing things so that he'll be revealed, so that he'll be known. So, so you have the moment of, uh, where the world goes into darkness in Genesis. Now you have the moment in John where the light comes back into the world. See the parallels between Genesis 1 and John 1? They both start in the beginning. They both start with light, with light coming in. They both start with the presence of Jesus. It's like God is saying to you, like God is saying to us, I created, now it's time to recreate. You know, I created and it was lost. Now it's time to create and be found. And now it's time to create and have life come again. So here comes the Lord Jesus in these verses. And Jesus comes to us as a life bringer. He comes to us as a light bringer. And when he comes and when you read his story through the Gospels, you find out that he brings a light that ignites, that ignites life. So you find people that are blind and all of a sudden they can see. You find people that have lost hope or that feel like they've been written off. And they meet, they encounter Jesus and their life totally shifts and moves forward, gets ignited, gets set ablaze, gets released, whatever the word is that we want to have. You find hopeless people find new hope. You find people that are marginalized, now brought into the center of what, of what God is doing. That's why I love uh, in Luke 15, I just remember years and years ago, Pastor Ted was speaking to the prodigal son, and he had some translation that started off and said, why do you hang out with this riffraff? That's how it, that's how it, 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 it labeled people in that particular paraphrase. Why do you hang out with riffraff? And out of that, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the lost son because lost people really, really matter to God. And so he brings this life that will ignite 
new life. So here comes Jesus, and it tells you, that, it tells you of his story. I had a class in, in seminary. We had to write this paper on how the first 18 verses of John 1 explain the whole gospel. If you know John 1, 1 18, you know what's going to happen in the whole gospel. And one of the points of that is in verse 5, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You try to figure out what the word overcome means, because it can mean, some of your translations will even say the darkness could not understand it. And then this translation goes with the darkness could not overcome it, because the word means both things. And really, when you go through the life of Jesus, both things are true, aren't they? Jesus was not an understood person. And through, through the course of his life, people are trying to understand him. What do you mean? What do you mean by you say this? Why are you doing this? That's like a thread that goes through his whole life. The darkness, it could not understand him because they kept trying to stay in darkness and try to understand him. You know, why don't you keep our traditions? Remember that one? Why are you eating on the Sabbath? Why haven't you washed your hands? Why aren't you, all of those things where they could not understand him because they wouldn't move from the way they wanted to understand life, the way they'd always understood life, they couldn't make the transition to what Jesus was saying about life. But there's some people that won't, they won't get saved, they won't come to Jesus because he doesn't fit into their way of thinking. And so they won't set aside their way of thinking for the reality that Jesus brings. You know, the darkness could not understand him. And then you could translate it, and sometimes I think God chooses words because he knows they have the two meanings, and they both fit. The darkness could not overcome him. Isn't that something else you see through the life of Jesus? They kept trying to overcome him. I think it's in John 6, they try to throw him over a cliff. They, they try to kill him uh, at different points, so they try to make plans to kill him. They, they try to label him. Uh, I think it's through Mark and Luke, they ask him these string of questions, trying to trip him up. You know, the, the ones that don't believe uh, in the resurrection, they tell him about the woman. Yeah, I always think of her as the black widow. Remember her? She married this, son, this boy, and then the boy died. So she married his brother, and then the brother died, and then she married the next brother. I think there were seven of them, and, and they all died. So whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? on the last day. They kept asking those kind of questions. Is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? Hoping to discredit him in front of everyone. Question after question after question. Why? Because they're trying to overcome him, and they never could. The darkness tried to overcome the light, and it couldn't. That's why it's so, it's so ironic at the end of the Gospels when it says, so they planned to kill Jesus, but they said, we're not going to do it at the Passover because it would start a riot. And so what does God do? That's when, that's when they kill him, is during the Passover. You know, they wanted to kill him, they didn't. They didn't want to kill him, and they end up doing that. Why is that? Because the darkness can never triumph, can never trump the light. Some of you, I, I can't say you, some of us, we've all been in seasons where we wondered if the darkness was going to trump what was going on in your life. Who hasn't lived there? God are you able to conquer this? Are you able to make a difference? Are you able to turn everything around right now? Because it certainly seems like the darkness is overcoming the light. And, and that's his promise. In the person of Jesus, the light will always overcome the darkness. It, eventually, it, it will get there. That Jesus brings light. He, it will ignite life. And you watch people do that. You watch that, you watch that happen throughout the Gospels.
So how do you respond to that? We know that, that we lived in darkness. We know the whole world was in darkness. Some of your lives were so, so dark when, when Jesus came and met you and when you gave yourself to him. How do you respond to the fact that the God of the universe has sent light into, into a dark world? I, that's just a, a question I want to raise. I want to give us some, applic some applications, some takeaways to what do you do with this other than just enjoy a Christmas carol or have a little different understanding on what Christmas is. Hey, here's the response. Let me see how you do this. Hmm. That is weird. Okay. <laughs> hey, can you do that, Grant? Can you take control of that? Or I got this thing, and I thought I figured out how to have a video and a thing. So... Let me just, I'm just going to tell you how I have them here. I have them here. Yep. You worship that kind of God. That's what you do, is you worship that kind of God. You step back and you take in the fact that God, this is who you are. You are a God in whom there is no darkness at all. And I worship you for being a God like that. I, I come to you with more confidence because I never have to worry about your intents with me. I never have to worry that you have an evil thought for me. I never have to worry that you're going to get tired of me. I never have to worry that you're, that you're going to do something that's going to be harmful to me. I worship you as that kind of a God. That's what worship is, is when you connect who God is to where your life is. That's, that's where worship becomes. Uh, Another, another response would be, would be that you worship Jesus who became, lice, who became like us. He became a man, and then he made it all the way through life unlike us. That he, he came as a sinless person, and he made it all the way through his life without ever sinning. You worship him for that. God, I can't even get through an hour without sinning. And you, Jesus, you made it for 33 years. Boy, I, I just want to step back and worship you for that. You know, you can understand theologically that Jesus lived a sin, sinless life, that he came as a sin, you know, he was born of a virgin so that he, would be, he wouldn't carry the sin nature that we carry. But then he made it through his whole life without sinning. He had 12 disciples that made that a challenge, you know, and... He had, he had Pharisees around him who had to make it an incredible challenge. He's agonizing on a cross, and he's being made fun of. And he makes it through all of that without sinning. He stays the light of the world. But how do you respond to, to him as light? Well, you worship him for that. You, you take that slice of it, and, and you worship him. Here's another way that you respond to this, is you cross the gap from your darkness to his light. That's what it means to be saved. It's recognizing that, God, here I am. I am living in darkness without you. And, and I'm choosing now to cross this gap into your light. That's the, the crossover is what Jesus makes possible. That's why he takes our sin on himself on the cross. He takes our darkness and allows us to find a way to God. Not where we work our way to him, but where God has come to save you and you, you come to a moment where you say, God, I want to cross this gap. If Jesus has made that possible, then I give myself to Jesus. Stop stopping what I've been trying to do to cross the gap and just welcome and accept what you have done for me. 
you know, thank you that you've called me into light. Thank you that you bring light into my life. I receive that. That's how you respond to a story like this. If you've never done that, that's how you respond to a story like this. Hard for you to celebrate Christmas as the coming of the light of the world to penetrate the darkness and to change it if you won't come into that yourself. You're celebrating something that you're rejecting at the same time. That makes no sense. So how do you respond to a story like this? You cross the gap from your darkness into the light that God has come. Hey, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, how do we respond to this? We believe that we can live like that. We believe that we can live in the light. You stop accepting that, well, this is the way I am. This is what I've always struggled with. This is, you know, how I react in these situations. This is a fear I've never been able you realize all of those things can be set aside and that you can just live in the light. We saw what Ephesians said about Gentiles. This is what Ephesians says to us as, as followers of Jesus. It says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. How do you respond to this story of light coming in the person of Jesus? You believe that you can live a life that's characterized by light, that you stop excusing the darkness that shows up in your life, and you believe that you can, you can walk in the light as, as he in the light. How is it you respond to this? You grow in your knowledge of God. If, if light means the knowledge of God, in fact, I think it was Plato that said that light, and, light is equal to knowledge, that light is knowledge. If light in the Bible is the knowledge of God, then grow in your knowledge of God. Grow in your knowledge of who he is and, and who he is to you and what his plan is and what, what his priorities are and what his mission is and what his purpose for your life is. Grow in that. And you're only going to grow in that as you grow in the word. Remember we read that verse in Psalm 19. The unfolding of your light, the unfolding of your word gives light. As you get into the word, it says there's a verse that you're more familiar with in that chapter. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How am I going to know where to go in the darkness of this world? I have the light of your word. And so how do you respond to light coming in? If you having the opportunity to know God, you grow in your knowledge of the word. You just grow in the word. The best way to grow in the word is just keep reading it. You read it and read it and read it, and you understand more and more and more. You read the Gospel of John, and then you reread the Gospel of John, and then you reread it, and each time you're going to understand more and more, and God is going to speak, speak more into your life through it. So you respond by growing in your knowledge of God. You, you, you respond to this by reflecting the light that's in you. Let me see where I can get back up to here. Yeah, you respond by just reflecting the light that, that's in you. Jesus, Jesus says in, in, Mark 5, in Matthew 5, verses that are, familiar to us. Here we are. He says, you are the light of the world. See, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you participate in his light. He doesn't say you carry the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. Uh, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and putting it in a basket, but on a stand, and it gets light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's a couple, take, couple takeaways there. Your light is shining unless you stop it. Do you see that? He doesn't say, so shine your light. He says, just let your light shine. Unless you stop it, your light is going to shine in that. 
And if people, in order for people to glorify your Father who is in heaven, they have to know that your works are motivated by the Father. People have to understand your life testimony has to do with Jesus, or else they're just going to think you're a good person. So that element that the light that's in you, just allow it to shine. Bruce closed his prayer with that, which I just took as an affirmation from the Lord. Okay, well, this is the word for the, to the day then. Bruce prayed that our light would shine. Jesus is telling us, telling you to let it shine. He's telling it to let your light shine and for people to understand that you are living a life to glorify God so that when they see that, they say, well, wow, they must have a pretty good God if they live this way. So you reflect that light that's in you. And then one last response we have is just to look, look with hope to, the, yeah, to living forever in absolute light. That forever we're going to live in absolute light. That's one of the promises of Scripture. It says in Revelation 22, as it's looking to what forever is going to look like, it says, And night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So you get so distraught over the darkness that's around you and the darkness that's in our world. And just think of the dark, darkness in our political climate. You get so sick of living in that. We look with hope that there will be a day we live forever in absolute light. It won't be because the lamps will be tended or because the lights will be LEDs and they'll last forever or whatever, whatever they were. When they put these lights in the chapel, I asked one of the electricians, so how do we change the bulb? And he says, you don't change these bulbs. They, you know, these bulbs will never go. They just, you know, it'll be 20 years before you need to change these, which is great. They didn't tell us that the ballast can still go. So one of these lights has already been replaced. But in heaven, but in heaven, there will be absolute light forever. And that has begun in the coming of Jesus. That's, been, that's come in the coming of Jesus. So that's the truth of his coming to us. He's come to us and lived in such darkness to bring light. He's the, he's the one that's come to us and he's, he's come, to, he's come to, to ignite that life, that light into our lives. Respond as you need to respond today. Respond as you need to respond. If you need to get saved, then give your life to Jesus. If you need to make a commitment to grow in the word so that you know that, then do that. If there's an area of darkness that you're choosing over walking in the light, then get rid of that. But respond to the fact that the light has come to save us. And the darkness could not overcome him, and the darkness never will. And then there will be a day when there's a kingdom of light that we get to live in forever. And until then, you need to receive the light. Some of you, some of you know about Jesus, and you're trying to figure this out. You need to just receive him as light that will dispel your darkness. And then some of us, the call is to walk in the light. And, and to all of us, the call is to reflect the light, to be the light of the world that people need. Father, we pray that you would use us in a significant way these weeks before Christmas to, to reflect your light. We pray that people around us would come to know you, Jesus, the light of the world through us. Open, open doors that seem to have been shut to us or renew conversations so that we can take people next and I just want to pray over those that just feel like there's a darkness over this season of life. Lord Jesus, I pray you just dispel that. You just show up in, in significant personal ways.
Thank you that that's your heart. Thank you that you are God in whom there is no darkness at all. Amen.